Welcome to The Big Rich Show. This podcast will focus on conversations with friends and acquaintances within the four-wheel drive industry. Many of the people that I will be interviewing, you may know the name, you may know some of the history, but let's get in depth with these people and find out what truly makes them a four-wheel drive enthusiast. So now's the time to sit back, grab a cold one, and enjoy our conversation. Whether you're crawling the Red Rocks of Moab or hauling your toys to the trail, Maxxis has the tires you can trust for performance and durability. Four wheels or two, Maxxis tires are the choice of champions because they know that whether for work or play, for fun or competition, Maxxis tires deliver. Choose Maxxis. Dread victoriously. Why should you read Four Low Magazine? Because Four Low Magazine is about your lifestyle, the four-wheel drive adventure lifestyle that we all enjoy. Rock crawling, trail riding, event coverage, vehicle builds, and do-it-yourself tech all in a beautifully presented package. You won't find Four Low on the newsstand rack, so subscribe today and have it delivered to you. On today's episode of Conversations with Big Rich, we have Kurt Schneider. Those that uh, are back from the pirate days will know Kurt as Kurt Tallis. At least that's how yeah. I pronounced it. Um, not sure. Kirk-ules. What it's was it? Kirkules. Kirkules. Oh, yeah, okay. Kirkules. I was always wondering what that was. All right. Yeah, everybody pronounces Well, that's, it. that's like, what was his, uh, um, Whelan Demon, Whelan, a uh, well done man. Yeah. You know, <laughs> all right. So anyway, um, Kurt, thank you for coming on board. You got a long history in a lot of different areas, um, wheeling especially. Let's uh, let's just jump right in. Where were you born and, and raised? <laughs> well, that's kind of, that's kind of a long a long answer. Uh, originally, I was born in uh, Virginia. My da- mom and dad lived in Luray, Virginia. But uh, but my family, the Schneider family, is all from upstate New York, Rochester, New York. Okay. My dad ran hotels, restaurants, and golf courses. So we moved around a lot from there. But the summer between kindergarten and first grade, my father opened a restaurant uh, in upstate New York, right off of Lake Ontario. There's a bay called East Port Bay. My dad's restaurant was right on the water. So you could pull your boat up, drive a car down a hill to get to it down by the water. And, uh, that's actually when I kind of first got into, into Jeeps, you know, the, those upstate New York winters are just miserable. You get the lake effect snow. that's super thick and wet. And my dad needed, knew he needed something four wheel drive to get not only down to the restaurant by the bay, but get back up the hill to the main road. And, uh, he bought a 1977 Jeep Wagoneer. And during the winter, it would a lot of people would want wouldn't want to show up to the restaurant because they'd drive down the hill to get to the restaurant and couldn't get back up it. So dad would get the wagoneer, you know, click that quadro track in a four low. And back then we used chains. You know, there's no toe straps. And my dad would tow everybody up that hill. <laughs> and uh, you know, when you're in kindergarten, first grade, you know, dad was just my hero. And on those thick upstate New York winters, he'd, he'd tow everybody out of the out of the snow. 
That's awesome. Hey, but after about that's how you get customers ago. to come back. Yeah. Well, during the summer it was great. You know, we were my dad. My dad can write a menu, and his restaurant was awesome. But winters, you know, by February, March, we're just destitute because we didn't have enough customers coming into the restaurant. Right. So, going into third grade, end of the summer, uh, my mom and dad decided, you know, that we've had enough of these winters. Let's we're going to go back to Florida because we lived in Florida for a short period of time when I was really little. So my dad sold everything, put a bunch of stuff in storage, bought an RV trailer. And essentially the day I was supposed to start third grade, we got in that RV and slowly started working down the Eastern seaboard. So, you know, uh, we went to civil war battlefield after civil war battlefield, uh, Washington, DC, just slowly took our time just exploring and we got to Stone Mountain, Georgia. And in Stone Mountain, Georgia, we stayed there a week while my dad was trying to line up a job in Florida. And uh, we literally flipped a quarter. My dad was like, yeah, I don't know if I want to go to Florida. It's muggy, lots of bugs. And my mom's like, well, we got a job lined up. Well, we, we flipped a quarter. Heads, we go to Florida. Tails, we go west. And uh, it came up tails. Nice. So we slowly started working across the deep south in that wagon um spent halloween in meridian mississippi went all through louisiana through texas right around thanksgiving we got to tucson arizona and my mom and dad start to figure well they start figuring oh we better get our kid in, into school <laughs> so living in an rv park in tucson arizona for a little bit then my dad got a little side job in Sierra Vista, Arizona, moved down there. And with my dad being out of work, that's one thing we did. We, in that wagon here, we explored all of Southern Arizona. Uh, we would go down, you know, rock trails <laughs> that that wagon shouldn't have probably been on, uh, explored the whole Southern desert. And then finally, that's when my dad landed the job in Yosemite National Park. That had that had to be really cool. But one before we get into Yosemite, is that why you have a Wagoneer now? And was yeah. it, obviously your dad's was was not as troublesome as yours has been. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we had problems. He, he had a few problems, but no, that that thing. My dad's seventy seven wagon. It towed us. We actually went across country three times when I wow. was a kid. Um, I'd seen almost every single state of the continental United States before I was in, uh, in high school. And yeah, I saw, I saw this entire country and fell in love with this country, you know, from the backseat of a wagon. And, uh, that was my first vehicle when I was in high school, which by then it was all rusted out and that AMC 360 was tired. So it didn't last me that long, but that's what ended up with me getting this one that I got now in nice. 1990. You know, it's rotten up front. Growing up traveling like that, I think is absolutely awesome. We get, uh, we get a couple of weeks every summer with, uh, our oldest grandson, Jacob, and he travels with us while we're putting on events. And we try to hit as many national parks as we can. He's been, you know, to Pennsylvania, to Chattanooga, um, you know, up into, up into Washington and Colorado and, 
you know, we take him to everywhere we can so that he gets that experience. And I wish eventually we'll get all the grandkids moving like that. But the 12 year old is easier to deal with than the younger ones. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it it had a huge effect on me and it, it is a high school teacher especially when I taught in, in the Bay Area in Hayward, I'd talk to kids in my classroom that, you know, they're an hour from the ocean and I had kids that never seen the ocean. Right. That's crazy. I got, got kids at the high school I'm at now that have never seen snow. And I, I don't know. I think life is about experiences. You got to get out and, and see things. And especially at a young age, I think it, uh, it, it's really good for somebody. We just came across from Minnesota, and we're now down uh, in Henderson, Nevada, but the last six days we've been traveling, and we've met a lot of people along the way and had a lot of great conversations, and we were sitting in this little tiny town in upper Nebraska, and it was the guy, this old guy comes in with his wife and just kind of talking to everybody and walks over and goes, goes, hey, you know, what made you stop here in our town? And I mean, it's a small town, like 900 people or something. And there was a sign on off the side of the, we didn't take any interstates. We took all back roads. And so there was a sign that says cafe and an arrow, you know, and it was like, Hey, it's time to eat. Let's go to this cafe. Looked like it was closed, but it was open. We went in, you know, there was a few people in there, but he goes, you know, what do you, you know, where are you from? What are you doing? And we talked to him and he was 80, 80 years old. He's been in that town all his life. He's, he goes, well, I've never traveled much anywhere. I've been to South Dakota a couple times, you know, and that's like a 30 miles from this town, you know, getting into South Dakota. And he goes, yeah, I've never been to California. And I thought, man, you know, that's, that's a shame. You know, I know people, some people don't want to travel or don't have that need but I do and always have. And so I'm glad that you got to experience it and hopefully you've been able to share that as well. Well, well, you know, that, that's what I, that's one reason I got this Wagoneer from my buddy, Chris. Um, I wanted my kids to have the kind of the same experiences, which their experiences have been more like, you know, broken down on Indian slabs waiting for parts. But, but, um, you know, they, they've seen a lot out the, the back of that, that wagon, my kids beg me to go wheeling. You know, know, that's, that's, that's a, that's a great lifestyle. You can ask my kid who's now 38, 39 years old, something like that. He, uh, you know, they, both my kids spent a lot of time up on the Rubicon when they were younger out wheeling in Southern Utah. And, you know, the, the first trip little rich was on, you know, we rolled the car on him, you know, not on him (laughs) physically, but he was in the Jeep when we rolled. You know, and it was on the on the Rubicon, and uh, you know, it's just you know. Now look at him; he's pretty messed up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, go go ahead on, on with your life story. Sorry. Oh, uh, we're okay. We're, um, yeah, my my father tells me I'm a little kid, and he's like, "Oh, we're moving to California." So you know, a lot of people's worldview is you know formed by mass media and TV, and I back then and whatever it was, 1979. I saw Chips. Remember that show? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, this can be awesome. I live on the beach, girls in bikini. <laughs> so I must have fell asleep in the Jeep 
on the way to California and I wake up in the morning and instantly I, th- I thought California was all beach. I had no clue. And I ran out the door of that RV and man, the first thing that hit me was the smell of campfire and seeing these big tall pine trees. And I look up and there's this massive cliff with a waterfall. I'm like, dad, where are we at? He's all California. I'm like, there's pine trees. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Man, I, I, I am just blessed. Very few people in this world can say they've lived in Yosemite Valley. Even fewer can say they, they grew up there. Right. Um, I, I, we live right in the valley behind Yosemite Village. There's a very small elementary school right underneath Yosemite Falls. And uh, my dad ran the Iwani Hotel, the Lodge, Curry Village, did all the food and beverage for the all the concessions in the park. And, yeah, I was in heaven. But um, it, it did. Our my dad would always have Mondays off, you know, when the restaurants aren't as busy. Right. So our our adventures didn't stop, even though we just traveled the entire country, explored all of southern Arizona. Uh, my dad would load me up in that wagoneer, and we'd explore the eastern Sierra. Uh, a lot of times we'd go down the Merced River. He'd find some dirt road filled with rocks and take us down to the river, and we'd pan for gold. So the whole kind of exploring and driving around was just kind of like a, I guess, a family tradition. So, oh, I, you know, so you, you were into photography, right? You're yeah. really big in photography. So you'll, you'll love this story. I was probably still third grade. And my dad's running the uh, dining room in the Iwani Hotel, which is a beautiful dining room. Absolutely. Yeah. One morning, my dad's like, son, come here, come here, come here. So he drags me over to this table and there's this old guy with a gray beard. And uh, my dad basically introduced me to um, Ansel Adams. You're kidding me. Uh, Right before Ansel Adams passed away, Ansel Adams asked me, here I am this little third grader. He goes, well, do you like photography? (laughs) What are you going to say? I I never even thought about it, but I'm going to say yes. I knew who he was at that point. Yeah. He's all, you should go down to my gallery and, and, take, take some classes. And I, I think I begged my parents and begged my parents and that, you know, but this is years ago, but you know, here I am this little third or fourth grader running around following this photography class through the valley. And, um, that kind of gave me the, I, I really got the drive to kind of get into photography from there. Not that I went, did it as a career, but I was always interested in it, you know, and I, I've shot a lot of events you know, over all these years and wheeling. But one thing that taught me is the effect you can have on a kid just by saying, Hey, you should do, you know, especially if you're not the parent, if you're the the parent, kids don't listen to you. (laughs) You should do this. Yeah. Right. Whatever. (laughs) But I've done that with, with some of my former high school students, you know, Hey, you're, you're really good at welding. Maybe you should look into this. You think so? Yeah. And they listen. You know, as long as it's not their own parent. Exactly. But um, lived in the valley for several years, and finally my dad got sick of that. And we loaded up the RV again. My grandmother at the time was living in San Diego. Uh, Went down to San Diego in between jobs and ended up exploring all the whole Southern California desert, Anza Borrega Desert. Um, Finally, my dad landed another job back in Virginia. <laughs> oh. 
This time we took the middle route across the United States, you know, through Colorado and what then was called the 50, now the 70. <laughs> yeah, whatever. I, I, I don't know. I got probably the highways change, but I, yeah. we get to, uh, get to Virginia. That job didn't last long for my dad and went back up to Rochester for a minute. And he goes, well, I got another job back in California. So once again, third time across country, uh, by the time I got to high school, like I said, I'd almost every single one of the continental United States, everything from the Grand Canyon to the Everglades in Florida to, to every civil war battlefield you could think of. Um, and I really fell in love with this country by looking out the window of that Wagoneer. So that's kind of, uh, my whole growing up story. <laughs> awesome. And, uh, Jeep, you like apple pie? What's that? Do you like apple pie? Oh, yeah, I love apple pie. Okay, Jeep, apple pie, America. There you go. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. And uh, it, kind of that tradition I've continued w- with with my three sons. Um, you know, Logan was with me and my buddy Chris when we ran Rally Venture and, you know, Jeff Knowles Rally Venture. And all the events that my kids have been to and just like, you know, you with, with Rich, my kids have grown up on the con. Yep. You know, grand, granted, dad never had the best vehicle. <laughs> and neither did this one. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a. I had a 93 YJ that I bought in college with a Dana 30, 35 lockers front and rear. And I would with 33 inch tires and I'd be up there on the trail watching everybody else with bigger rigs. My kids would be in the back in car seats and I don't know what I did right, but they love wheeling. That's perfect. Peyton, my oldest boy, he, I, I, he just got it in his head that he wanted a flat fender and I, I kind of know the reasoning. I mean, Peyton always loved um, uh, a friend of mine, Sammy Sievert has a, has a flat fender slinky. No, that's, that's the other Sam. That's Sam. Oh, that's right. Silvera. Yeah. Sam Silvera had slinky, which is one of my all time favorite rigs. I can remember being up on the Rubicon and had to be 99 or something. He was with a club that's no longer around called mountain high toys. And that thing was just unbelievable you know, back then. Yep. And I know Peyton was really into those flat fenders. I think it was from both the Sams and probably Jeff Mello chirping in his ear a little bit, but Peyton started researching those Jeeps. Uh, he, the kid's a, a flat fender expert. He knows everything just from constantly researching online. And he's constantly sending me, you know, as soon as he turned 15, dad, can we buy this one? Can we buy that one? And uh, he had saved up some money. And a buddy of mine, Matt Ritchie, calls me out of the blue. He's, hey, man, I'm sitting on this 41 Willys MB. Haven't driven it in years. And uh, we go up there and look at the thing. And I, I fell in love with him. Oh, this is awesome. It's a slat grill 41 Willys. So I pop open the, the hood, and there's a 22 RE. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so. I text pictures to Jeff Mello and all Jeff Mello says is close the hood, walk away. (laughs) (laughs) But, but Peyton just fell in love with it and he didn't have enough money to buy it. 
so Matt says, you know what? I, I, I think this is just so cool what, what you're doing with your kid. And it's, you know, it's what my dad did with me. He's all just have him make payments on it. And Peyton paid that thing off. So he's got, he daily drove that to school. Wow. Um, and it runs on propane. It's old school. It's got quarter elliptical in the back. Um, but I, I, I seriously think that that's probably the oldest daily driven. Well, if it's still considered a Jeep, daily driven Jeeps in the world. It was built December 9th, 1941, two days after Pearl Harbor. And then somebody put a Japanese motor into it. <laughs> yeah, I know. And Toyota axles. <laughs> but man, that thing scrambles over the Rubicon like a, like a side-by-side. Right. It's, here I am lumbering in my big wagon you know, scraping over everything and worried I'm going to break down every five minutes and Peyton's just running circles around me. But, but he loved, he loves the thing. And then, um, the day he graduated, our neighbor who's now since passed away, our neighbor was a big hot rod guy and Peyton would go over there, help him with his cars. And the neighbor had this 94 C4 Corvette and Peyton loved that Corvette. Well, graduation day, right after he graduates, we're having people come over, and he goes, Dad, I want to buy Bob's Corvette so I can take it take it down to San Luis Obispo. <laughs> He's studying welding down at Cuesta College in San Luis Obispo. Nice. And uh, I'm all, Peyton, you know, Bob probably wants 10, 12, 14,000 bucks for that. I don't have 10, 12, 14,000 bucks. He's like, no, Dad. He said he'll sell it to me for just seven. I'm like, Peyton. I don't have seven grand. He tells me, well, I got 6,600 bucks saved up. Can you float me $400? I'm like, are you kidding? What am I going to do? Tell my kid no? Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, you know, kid's 18. He's already got two vehicles. Nice. So he bought, bought that and went down to, I'm so proud of my boy. He's uh, he's working for Dave Schlossberg down there at Poly Performance, studying welding and just loving it. That's that's great working for Polly. Oh yeah, Peyton, Peyton loves that job. He's just I, I, I'm just so glad he got on with that company. It's been great for him. He's learned a lot. He's grown up so much in the past whatever it's been year. So what about your other kids? So Logan, same exact thing. Logan wanted a flat fender, and. Same thing. He, he researched constantly. I mean, I would get seven text messages a day, either Facebook Marketplace, Craigslist. And he found a 53 flat fender up in, um, up in Sonora. And man, it was rough. The body was messed up. The, there was no rear drive shaft and had the wrong transfer case in it. So Logan gets this thing. Bought it himself. We tow it down here. I'm like, man, I'm in over my head. (laughs) That's another thing is growing up, you know, my dad would work on the wagon and I can hold a flashlight. (laughs) I'm good. But, you know, my dad did all the work. So I'm not very, I've swapped out an axle on the trail, but I'm not super mechanical. Right. And when it came to my kids, they had asked me something. I go, I don't know. You figure it out. Go call Jeff Mello. Call Mark Harris. Call. There you go. And so I've made them do all their own work. So Logan just 
my garage is still right now a mess because of Logan, but he, I don't think there's one bolt he's turned on that. He hasn't turned on that, that Willie's. That's great. He did the transmission. He's on his second engine. Um, Mark Harris helped him with the gears. He put a whole new rear end in it. Now on Wednesday, he, he found a front 44 because it's got a front 30 in it right now. Um, and the same thing, you know, he drives every day to school. And every day they drive to school, the Schneider curse kicks in. You know, brakes go out, linkage for the clutch isn't working. So <laughs> my kids are working on stuff on the side of the road, just like me. <laughs> and then my are my you holding is, the flashlight for him? <laughs> yeah, yep. <laughs> Sometimes I'll get in there and get my hands dirty. <laughs> and then Braden, poor kid, I, he he says he wants the wagoneer. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> we'll see but um it, it's not just my own kids you know last last year uh logan wanted to go take it go up and go wheeling and no his rig wasn't ready so he wanted to tow the wagon up and we, we weren't going to go to the rubicon we my club the kybers crawlers we would kind of stick south of highway 50 up silver fork road Right. This is this will be our thirtieth year. When I say when I say club, that's in quotes. We're not. We don't have bylaws. We don't have rules. A lot of the guys are really hardcore wheelers. Um, my buddy Alfred Heck likes to call us the unclub. There but for go. thirty years, thirty years, we've been going up there. We go up the in the spring, and the thing was, we'd wheel as far back in the snow as we could get, where nobody else could get to us, and we'd camp. So our territory is kind of up. Well, now it's all burned up, but up Mormon Immigrant Trail, Silver Fork Road, everything south of Kybers. But anyway, last last November, Logan wants to go camping and wheeling. And uh, I had to borrow a tow rig and a trailer because my truck won't tow my wagon. <laughs> we towed it up there. I got Logan, three of his friends. And three of his friends have never been real camping. You know, they've been in RVs. <laughs> so we get up in the middle of nowhere. Uh, Logan proceeds to break the Wagoneer in about 45 minutes. He blew out my front drive shaft and only had two-wheel drive. Friday, everything was cool. Saturday was great. Went driving around, exploring. And Saturday night, we crashed out maybe 1130 midnight. And in the middle of the night, I start hearing rain come down. You know, thick rain just hitting the tent as i'm laying there for a while in the tent i'm like man the sides of the tent aren't wet so i unzip the window and we're in about four inches of thick wet heavy snow and it's dumping and i start thinking man you know if, if i was here with all my buddies it wouldn't be a problem i just go back to sleep but i've got the wagon this tow rig i'd have to load the wagon on the trailer we got you know, I had beer cans probably all around the, the fire pit covered in snow. <laughs> so I wake kids up. We got to get out of here. We got we to gotta get out. So we start loading up. And my buddy Dave Chick, who lives in Pollock, he, he had been up there earlier with earlier in the day. He bombed up the hill to find us. <laughs> so he shows up about half after midnight. And I told Logan, look, I'm just going to you're going to have to drive the, the wagon out. I'm going to take the tow rig out. Because we had to go down this hill up north-south road, which is a real steep hill right? in you know, four or five inches of snow. 
And Logan proceeds to tell me, Dad, I think the wagon's out of gas. I'm like, are you kidding me? I don't want to get stuck in this. So Chick's got like two or three gallons of gas. You pour it in the wagon. We start driving out. And uh, it took us a while crawling through that snow to get up to Mormon Immigrant Trail. And as soon as we get up to Mormon Immigrant Trail, it was the weirdest thing. It's thunder and lightning and dumping snow. Hmm. And and Logan's friends in the backseat, because he's driving the wagon, their their eyes are just you know, <laughs> as, as big as hard-boiled eggs. Well, Logan runs out of gas. <laughs> so me and Chick got to go all the way down into Pollock, get gas, come all the way back up. So those kids sat at the side of the road for about an hour in a thunder and lightning storm. Long story short, man, those those three kids – my, my son's friends, they were sold. You know, a, a normal person would be like, oh, that sounds miserable. But for us being wheelers, you know, that's what makes memories. Yep. Is a, you know, kind of, and that kind of a trip would have been a big deal for our crowd, right? We go snow wheeling all the time, get stuck in stuff all the time. But for kids, you know, that that's just something they've never experienced. And now uh, Logan's friend, Ryan, he moved to Idaho. He just bought himself a TJ. Uh, another one of Logan's friends is buying a Forerunner, and they've since gone up with me on like two or three other trips. They're sold. That's I, awesome. Well, th- that's one thing that I love to do. I love love to introduce people to kind of our lifestyle, and you know, I, I love to have people see things and experience things. I, I did it with all my neighbors when I first moved to Discovery Bay. I took them up to uh, Donner one year for a We Rock event. Nice. And <laughs> there was some bonus line. You know, you know, we got our coolers of beer. We're standing on the rocks back there. And there was some bonus line. And one of my neighbors was like, well, what are those two cones up on the top of that rock? I'm like, well, they go up that. He's all, bullshit. Da, da, da. No. They, yeah, no, they go up that. <laughs> and I don't, I don't remember who it was. Mike, somebody, Mike Bo, somebody just shot up this, this wall and they were floored and they were sold. <laughs> and, um, I got a, even got a lot of my neighbors on my, uh, my, my old street here in discovery Bay. I think four families ended up buying Jeeps after going up and camping and wheeling with me. Well, that's awesome. I've always said that my job is I sell people their adrenaline back, <laughs> you know, and it's kind of, you know, like what we're doing with the sportsmen or, or when I take people wheeling for the first time, you know, it's kind of, I equate it to, you know, that drug dealer that's, that hangs around at the grade school, giving it away so that they've got a <laughs> hook to the rest of their life. You know, same thing with wheeling. And I'm glad to hear that other people do the same thing. Well, it, I, you know, you try, I try to explain the Rubicon to people and you just don't get it until you get up there. You know, I, I tell people I can show you lakes clear in Lake Tahoe. You can see every star in the night sky, swim in a swimming hole in the springs. And it's not until you get up there and experience it. You know, the Rubicon is so much more than just wheeling. It, it's an experience. True. And it gets me when these people are online. Well, you know, I'm going to take two days to get through the Rubicon. Is that enough? I'm thinking, nope. (laughs) Not if you're really going to explore it. 
True. Um, several years back, buddy of mine, Sean Russell, he was leading tours to the Rubicon and he, he hires me to do this run across the trail where he's leading 13 Jeeps from Belgium. And he asked me to go along, kind of help out. And now I'm not an expert on the trail by any means. I mean, I, I, but I do know a lot of the history. I'm a huge history buff. And so it was kind of like the tour guide along with the spotter. And it was crazy. We get to the Safeway in Pollock Pines and I'm filling up back of my Jeep, filling up my cooler with ice. And I turn all these Belgian guys that they actually shipped their Jeeps all the way across the Atlantic, drove their Jeeps across country, um, visited a bunch of different spots. And then the basically end of the trip was going to be wheeling the Rubicon. I pour my ice in the cooler and I got ice left over. So I'm like, hey, here, you guys need any more ice? And they're looking at each other, sound like Beaker from the Muppets. Oh, ice. What do we need ice for? I'm like, we're going to be on the trail for a week. <laughs> you want to keep stuff cold? And they all open up the back of their Jeeps. They all they don't use ice in Belgium. They all had refrigerators. Right. And it just blew me away. And then they had zero modifications. Because remember, in Europe, you can't modify a vehicle. There's no aftermarket parts. They had no lift, no nothing. And uh, But we walked them across the Rubicon. Um, with almost no damage, but again, they they would sit around the campfire and say, "Man, we have nothing, nothing like this in Europe." No, because they do mostly dirt roads. Yeah, that's four wheeling. Yeah, and even though the Rubicon may have started off as a dirt road, it's definitely not just a dirt road. Oh, no, <laughs> you ain't taking no Model T across it now. <laughs> no, 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 not anymore. Now it changes every year though, you yeah. know, when the weather hits and, and that's the other cool part about the trails. It, it, everything's a little bit different. You always see something new. Uh, my problem is I, it, it, I just stick to the Rubicon. I've actually never, I've never done Fordyce. Ever. I've never done the whole trail. Well, I, if I'm a, if I'm Fordyce. up on the con and I break down like I always do, I know <laughs> someone's going to be close to help me out. <laughs> you know, I'm that guy. But I got a buddy of mine that's been uh, begging me to do Doozy Ursham, which I I don't know if the wagon will be too big for that trail or not. But I'd love to do it. Looks like a beautiful trail. But then I think, man, <laughs> if I bust something bad in my wagoneer, what am I going to do? <laughs> Yeah. Um, Make sure he's got two other vehicles to help tow you out. <laughs> well, hey, that—that's the problem is towing that thing out. It's heavy. That's a beast. Yeah. Um. Well, last was it last summer? Last summer, uh, Peyton's Peyton's Willie's stopped getting propane. We couldn't figure out why. Just couldn't get it started. So the wagoneer actually towed his Willie's out from about Indian trail and coming out, I was towing him over a little ledge and something happened. He slammed on his brakes to stop. He crashed in the back and he broke his brake linkage. So he had no brakes, no power. And I had to pull him through the bowl and the wagoneer is carbureted. As soon as that motorcraft 2150 gets at a certain angle, it's you know, <laughs> there's that, that engine starving. <laughs> and uh 
I was so panicked. I was panicked about pulling them down through that bowl with no brakes or nothing. So we had to date. My buddy, Chris Tholke, has a near identical Wagoneer. He's, he's the guy that I got this wagon from. And uh, we daisy chained uh, Peyton's Willies between our two wagons. And everybody's taking pictures of us. You know, all these like uh, Overlander guys showing up. <laughs> We get down to the bottom of the bowl, and I'm like, man, I don't know if I want to tow them up. You know that hill right before the southern side of the bowl, the hill right, right before you the gatekeeper. And thank God uh, there was a guy there from uh, the Auburn Jeep Club. He's like, oh, here, just follow me up this line. And I tried to get up that hill. Didn't quite make it, so they had to lash me up and pull us all up, pull us all up the hill. But, I, again, that's just – yeah, hey, my kid's Jeep broke down. But man, what great memories. My kid will never forget that. And it was just, you know, one thing after another. <laughs> so even your even your worst trips turn into your best trips, right? Absolutely. You know, you those are the th- those are things that make memories. If, if everything runs smooth, there's no story. You know, it's like no good yeah. story ever started with a salad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <it's> just... <laughs> so the family's all into wheeling. Um, let's talk. Let's talk some about your teaching and coaching. And I, I don't think you're coaching anymore right now. I understand, but uh, if I thought, but you're, uh, you know, how did you get into? When when did you make that decision? Well, I when I was in high school, uh, my life can. You know, there's only three things I, I thought about in high school. It was girls, football, and cars. <laughs> right. And football was my life in high school. I was okay. I mean, my, my I, the high school I was at, we were we, we, we had an awesome football team. We were co-champions of the NBAL my senior year. My original plan was going to the Navy. And this college it was called Cal State Hayward back at the time. They, they called me up one day and said, Hey, look, you want to come up here and play football for us? Cause I played center. So get Cal State Hayward. And all I cared about when I was in college was playing football, girls and cars <laughs> and, uh, play football, Cal State Hayward till they cut the program. But football for, for years was, was my life. And, uh, you know, then I started doing sales and then I started playing professional paintball. I played professional paintball for several years. Wait, 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 wait. Professional paintball? Yeah. That's yep. a paintball. thing? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I actually, huh. in college, I worked for, it was my second job. I worked for an indoor paintball field. And me and my buddies would literally play paintball every night at that field. We'd close the field at about 10 or 11. We'd play from... 11 to two in the morning, drink beers in the parking lot. And then every weekend we were doing tournaments and I, I'm kind of weird. I just, get, I get focused on one thing. It's like wheeling. I just get focused on it and I go hundred percent. Oh, I understand. I understand. So, I've and, done the same thing. Yeah. So it was football for, you know, my focus Then it was paintball was my focus. And then, um, actually through paintball, through paintball, a guy walks into the, we had a paintball store too. We had a pro shop. And these two guys walk in, Rick and Martin. And you know, I'm just a kid, 20, 19, 20 years old. 
and start playing paintball. These two guys are a little bit older than us. Well, Rick would end up becoming one of my closest friends. And it was Rick and I that started my four wheel drive club, the Kyber Crawlers, 30 years ago. He brought, he brought me up to the mountains, a couple other guys, uh, you know, with, with our Jeeps. You know, after all these years of, of football, I got back into the let's go drive around and explore wheeling like I did when I was a kid. Rick got me back into that. And uh, Rick, you, Rick. Well, you know, what you got to thank Rick for is land use. Okay. You know, I was always the big mouth on pirate. Rick was the one that got it all done. And he's still up there working in, in El Dorado National Forest. Keep keep our public lands open to us. Um, but anyway, what, do I, what was I talking about? Oh, getting into, so anyway, I went into sales and hated it. I was all stressed out. And then I started teaching and teaching opened up the door to coaching football. So I coached football for high school football for almost 20 years, maybe a little bit less. Uh, O-line and D-line. Loved it. But football's kind of changing. Kids are changing. <laughs> and I don't know. I, maybe I just got burned out after a while. A lot of kids now don't want to hit. Um, kids don't seem to be as tough as they used to be. And with Brady, Brady's doing travel hockey, my youngest boy. So there's no way. There's no way I can coach football when I've got hockey games every Saturday. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's as much yeah. contact in, in hockey as there is in football. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in fact, it's kind of encouraged. <laughs> oh, yeah. Brady likes that part. Well, he can't check at this level yet, but he'll throw a hip or he'll push some kid off him. I love it. But, um, yeah, t- Football was a huge part of my life, and I just, uh, well, it's weird how life gets so busy with other things. You know, I I figured my focus has to be more on my own kids. Right. Um, Family first, always. Yeah. So hockey and wheeling (laughs) and wrenching on Jeeps. It's about all the Schneiders do. (laughs) (laughs) And hate on sea lions. Oh, don't even. (laughs) <laughs> uh, do you know how do you know how that all started? Did you hear that? No. So my son Logan's got a you know we live on the water. We're in Discovery Bay. Right. I got my boat, and my son Logan has a catamaran. So I'm out there one day doing something on the catamaran. I'm I'm kind of spread pontoon to pontoon. Well, when those sea lions breach out of the water, they they come up. They, they there's like this sucking noise they make when they suck in the air. Well, this massive sea lion just breaches right between my legs underneath that catamaran. I about had a heart attack. <laughs> I just fell on the dock. Well, they say a full-grown California sea lion will get like 12 feet. Well, Logan's catamaran is 12 feet long. This thing's like three, three feet longer than the catamaran. So just, I've been coming out here to Discovery Bay for years, you know, fishing and boating. And, and you used to see, you'd see a sea lion occasionally but that year the sea lions scared the hell out of me we had eight of them stuck in the, kind of stuck in the back bays here in discovery bay and they were just massacring the fish population and you know me i like to irritate people on social media with the whole man of leisure <laughs> thing so i just started complaining about sea lions and then I lucked out because suddenly that same year, people started getting attacked by sea lions in the, 
San Francisco Bay. <laughs> but did he? <laughs> but um, but they're an invasive species in here. And people just don't understand that. They're they're just they chase the salmon in, and then they eat all the striped bass. And yeah, my bay. Go out there and try to fish. There'd be nothing. But um, they only show up in the winter, so I can start complaining about them. End of November. There you go. Pretty soon now. (laughs) Okay, everybody. Get ready. (laughs) Yeah, see, I bug everybody about sea lions in the winter, about all my time off in the summer with the Manalibra alter ego. There you go. (laughs) But, yeah, with with teaching, it's so nice having all that time off, you know, to spend with my boys. Um, And teaching and coaching – I, I, I got to say, I really don't miss the coaching. That was a lot of time. Uh, but I couldn't imagine my life without teaching. I just, there's not one morning I wake up and go, damn, I got to, I love my job. You know, not one morning I wake up and think, damn, I got to go to work like I did back when I was doing sales. Is it because you get to influence youth? Part of it. Um, uh, well, here's kind of a confession. I've thought about it a lot. I, mean, I, I like to make people better. I like to show people new things. And I, and I don't teach a traditional subject. You know, I'm not like a math history teacher. And I, I, a couple of the classes I'm teaching are like freshman foundations, business communications, and I teach driver's education. Not in the car, but classroom drivers. Okay. <laughs> but in some of my classes, what I do is the first thing is I we spend two weeks on this. First couple of weeks of like in my foundations classes, the kids come up with 30 detailed life goals. They can't say, I want a car or I want a house. They got to say, I want a red 1995 Dodge Viper V10 with uh, saw blade wheels and pipes. On, you know, they've they've got to come up with these detailed life goals. Okay. And these kids have never thought about what they wanted. So they'll write down two things and get lost. You know, so I have them research their goals, visualize their goals. And once they come up with their life goals, I say, okay, well, how are you going to afford this? So then I show them a budget, how much it costs to live. And then from there, they look at careers. Okay, well, I want to make this much money to buy all these goals. What jobs can I get? And it's great because you get some girls who are like, well, wait, I don't want to be a third grade teacher. They only, you know, they start like $38,000 a year. (laughs) <laughs> so they, re- they research their careers and then, then I say, okay, well, that's, you found your career you want. How are you going to get that career? So I don't call it a college project. I don't think every kid should necessarily go to college. So we do an education project and they plan out how they're going to get to that career. So. Thank you. Oh, I, I, I love it. That's, oh, thank you for thanking me. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's refreshing to hear that there's classes like that. Is that is is that it, standard it, in in some schools, or is it just? I, I think it's just specific to my school district. I'm very lucky to be in the school. I love the school district I'm in. It's just such a great district, and uh, it, I think it's just for our district. Because Shelly Shelly has been doing a newsletter, and a lot of it. I mean, there was there was a money management newsletter she was doing or still doing. Um, and then there's some motivational stuff, but she wrote a curriculum about life skills because they're not being taught anywhere. 
And yeah. especially it was, she wrote it years ago because her and a, and a friend were, did a presentation for the NFL because all these guys that were, you know, coming out of, out of college to play in the NFL had absolutely zero life skills as we know. And, you know, they, they've been pampered all their life basically. Um, you know, cause if you're a star in high school and in college, you know, things can be a lot easier and you're, uh, they, you know, she was, you know, how to manage your money, how to, you know, control your friends, that kind of thing. Um, because those yeah. friends become, become detrimental possibly. Oh, yeah. And, yep. you know, the NFL started doing their own thing instead of taking their curriculum and hiring them to do it. But, uh, you know, that's what happens when you come up with an innovative idea. But that's awesome that there's, that there's somewhere that is teaching skills like that. Yeah. Well, it, uh, sometimes we forget, you know, that these kids, there's just so much they don't know. There's stuff you assume they know. It's like everybody teases me, oh, you're teaching driver's ed. Well, the thing is, these kids, this generation, well, when I was in that Wagoneer growing up, I'm watching my dad drive. I'm looking out the window. These kids, the entire time they're growing up, is they're in a car, their faces are in their cell phones. Right. They know things that you would assume you know, what the, the painted lines on the road means, what a yield sign means, they have no clue. And it's not just about driving. It's, I've had it. Kid asked me, I'm, I'm sitting at my desk, kid comes up and goes, hey, uh, Schneider, what time is it? Well, I got a clock on the wall. So I just point up at the clock. So he looks up at the clock. He's like, well, what, what does that say? I'm like, are you, you're kidding me. Damn. The kid didn't know how to read a, a regular analog clock because he's grown up with digital yeah. clocks his entire life. It just blew me away. And I'm reminded of that every day, how much these kids are just don't know. Teach, and, teach them how to make change yeah, without well, looking into the, into the, you know, I mean, it's basic math, but it's a life skill that I can't believe. I, I watched a kid one time. He, he helped the customer in front of me and the customer handed him the $20 and some change. And the guy, the kid only put the $20 in and then had to cancel the transaction and put in, so he could put in the $20 and like 28 cents so that he could make change. Cause he couldn't figure it out. And I get up there and I'm like, oh, I'm going to do the same thing. And the kid had to do it again. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, th it's really simple. Okay. I just gave you the, the change. You just add a dollar. And he's like, what? I don't get it. And, <laughs> and he, you know, he just canceled the transition uh, transaction and went through it again. The other thing, since you're a driver's ed teacher, teach people to merge. Oh, no, yep, I do that. We Trust will me. never, we, this, this country, you know, we're putting in all these traffic circles now. It'll take four generations until people you start to use the traffic circles like they're meant to be, which is constant flow, not stop signs. Yeah. Yep. It does not help our country's transportation needs right now having traffic circles because nobody knows how to fricking merge. 
Yeah, they're, they're trying to make us like Europe. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know these tracks. Roundabouts. Yeah. Oh. Anyway, I get off my soapbox. No, I don't. That was, that was fine. Um, but now I forgot what I was talking about. Uh, well, you were I, talking about educating the kids. Yeah. The, well, here's my confession I've been thinking about. It. I, I love storytelling. Every time I teach, I'm packaging everything up in a story. Right. And I found out a long time ago. I could sit there and lecture, and it would go in one ear and come out the other. Kids wouldn't remember it. But then uh, I've got this, like, I guess it's a ghost story about a wheeling trip that I to- told 20 years ago. And I'll, I'll run into these kids, and they'll remember every single thing from that story from 20 years ago, but they won't remember a lecture. (laughs) So, so when I teach, I package everything into a story. You know, I'm not saying, Hey, stop at the limit line at a stop sign. I'm telling story after story after story of people that rolled stop signs or didn't see somebody pull out in front of them. Uh, And the kids remember that better. Right. So storytelling is, uh, we go to war over stories. And it's whoever's get this, whoever's getting the story out there the most. They're the ones that are in power. Storytelling is very powerful. Yeah, um, it is. It is. Awesome. But I, in thinking about it, you know, one day I'm going to be gone. And I think one reason I teach is I want to be remembered. You know, I want these kids 30, 40 years from now, some kids going to say, oh, I had this. You know, fat guy with a baseball hat and sunglasses and dicky shorts. And, you know, he taught me how to set my mind to a goal and go after it. So that's, it's kind of my confession there. Impact. Yeah. I want to make an impact. I want to be remembered. And I'm not to my own horn, but I think I have, I think I've done it. I've got a lot of former students on my social media that to this day, thank me for stuff. That's Um, I'm an ordained minister and I've even married about five different former students. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's just showing, showing people new stuff, making an impact. And I, I think it's been even more fun with my, my son's friends, you know, the, that I'm, I'm slowly brainwashing into becoming wheelers. <laughs> and is that how you approach your freelance writing as well? Um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, the, the stories, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if I want to make a difference when I'm writing. I think I, in my writing, I just want to more entertain. I mean, I wrote about land use for so many years where I was, you know, wanted to make a difference, but I've been working on for about four years now, I've been working on an article, um, about, a, a guy that I think is the most interesting person in rock sports. Should I say his name? Do you want to hear it? Sure. <laughs> John Reynolds, Jr. Oh yeah. That guy is just, he, he's amazing. And I, he's probably wondering what the hell's happening with this story because I took four or five years ago, I talked to him about writing it on him. Um, and basically it, it's, it's nothing like we've ever done in the industry. I'm not, you know, doing an interview like you hear with, you know, somebody and just asking questions. I'm, I'm writing a story just kind of about him. And, uh, I know I, I just love creating it. It's just taking so long and, you know, life gets in the way. 
How many words are you up to, do you think? Oh, God. That's the thing is that I don't know what I'm going to do with it now because it's going to be long. There was, if you go to journalism, so my my degree is in communications. Right. So if you go to journalism school, it's kind of close to speech comm, which is like my major. But everybody in journalism school, you're supposed to read this magazine article from the 60s. It's called Frank Sinatra Has a Cold. And the guy that was writing the article was trying to get an interview with Sinatra and Sinatra wouldn't give him an interview. So all he did was follow around Sinatra and just watch Sinatra and the Rat Pack. And it's a beautiful magazine article, all done in story form. And it really, really shows Sinatra as a person. So that was kind of the format I wanted to do with, with, with Jr. Um, so I'm slowly working on that. One day I'll spit it out, but it's going to be long. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, we've got so many stories from, you know, from our industry. And there's so much that isn't told that we don't hear about, you know, and stories of wheeling trips and events. And you know, there's only so much you can get from a Facebook post or a Twitter feed. True. And I'm, I'm kind of missing, well, you know, pirates faded away. Now we've got, I, I, I rate four by four, but I'm missing the bulletin boards because I think you could just have more wording. You could make a super long Facebook post. Nobody's going to read it, but on a, on a bulletin, old school bulletin board, you had, more to look at it's like a magazine right well right. like with your magazine you can explain more go more in depth than what we have on social media true and social think, media sound bites yeah I, I think social media is killing us <laughs> in in the industry um peyton and i were a couple years back we're coming off the trail and we're coming into the bowl again right at the bottom of whale bones you know where whale bones is yep on the river current, right at the bottom, there's this guy, and uh, we're, we're heading out. It's late in the afternoon, and this guy's out. He's having a horrible time trying to get up whale bones. He has some Toyota something, a newer Toyota, all these stickers all over the outside of his vehicle. So I get down there, and I'm like, well, did you air down? He's like, well, yeah, I'm aired down to 20 pounds or something. I'm like, no, you, you, you got to air down more, man. So he's starting to air down and he's got his and his wife or girlfriend gets out and I asked her, are you guys by yourselves? So yeah. I'm all look, um, I don't know if you should be going in the trail by yourselves. You, this is just the very start. You haven't even started the trail. You got a lot more trail in front of you. And she's like, Really? Like how much farther? I'm like, you got a ways to go. So yeah, it took us an hour and a half to get here. <laughs> You got a week? What? (laughs) An hour and a half to get through Gatekeeper in the bowl? (laughs) So I'm like, you got to turn around. And you know what it was? It was it was some one of those Instagram whatever they call it, Insta famer guys. And I don't know. know, There's so many people that think, oh, I'm just going to go up and and do this trail, do that trail. Well, they're not really prepared for it. You know, and don't go alone. 
it's just kind of scary. Yeah, it is. Um, we see it a lot everywhere we go. Um, there's, there's a big, we do a lot of stuff in Texas and there's a big internet club, I will call it in, in central Texas. And most of the conversation on there is people trying, you know, they get their Jeep and like, help me name my Jeep. (laughs) And it's like, you know, where should I go? I want to go up to this place. You know, and oh yeah, you know, you got to be really careful and all this. And I'm like, oh my God, people, you know, it's, and I, I get it. I get it because it's, you know, it, it's become a social thing, which is fine because yeah. it, it started off for me. Well, it didn't start off for me as a social thing. In fact, it was kind of more of an antisocial thing. I always wheeled alone <laughs> and I still wheel alone a lot more than I probably should. Yeah. Um, but you've got the experience to do it too. Yeah. And, you know, if I get, I mean, I don't like working on my own stuff. I, I'll gladly pay somebody to do the work. Um, but when you're, when you're broke down, you know, you need to be able to keep going somehow. So yeah. you, you gotta, you gotta be able to figure things out. But, you know, the, nowadays people can't even change their own freaking flat tire, No, you know, and they're going, they're going onto these, you know, luckily back, you know, anywhere west or east of the Rockies, it's almost all parks. So yeah. people can't get too in too much trouble, you know, as long as they're, you know, safety wise, they can get into a lot of trouble, but you know, they, they're not going to get stuck at a park for, you know, three days trying to figure out how to get out. Right. Um, like they can on the con or Fordyce or, you know, Ducey, you know, it, or the hammers, wherever, you know, there's, there's so many places in the West because of the public lands, but you know, they just, it's, it's become social, you know, and social media, like you said, it's, 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 it's not a good thing. You know, everybody used to say, everybody is uninformed because we can't get communication. We can't get the news quick enough. Well, now that we have ways to get it out quickly, are we getting, are we getting the right information? Yeah. You know, which is well, a whole nother thing, but are we even learning anything? Cause everybody goes, Oh, I got to learn to put my air filter in. I'm going to look at YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then I'll ask a question on, on a specific board that I'm on, you know, vehicle specific or something like that about something that I'm having an issue with. And they're like, well, there's like 16 YouTube videos on it, and it's like, okay, you know. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, oh my god, I'm just going to go out there and tear this thing apart and learn it. Yeah, figure it out myself. Yeah. Well, that's what my boys, you know, do. I mean, you go out there and figure it out yourself. Go build that carburetor, Logan. <laughs> and then once you figured it out, then do a YouTube video. Yeah. <laughs> Some of these YouTube videos out there are just ridiculous. <laughs> oh, they, they talk too much or they film for like, you know, 40 seconds of just the floor. It's like, oh, I can't. <laughs> but yeah, it's, I, I think so many of these people, like in my area here in NorCal, you get all these Facebook Jeep clubs, you know, the mom with the JK. Oh, I'm going to go do the Rubicon. And for us, right, for us, the Rubicon, let's, let's face it. I mean, it's, it's not a hard trail. 
No. But but from our perspective. Right. You know, you've you've seen the hammers and all that. It's 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 nothing. But from their perspective, as soon as they get to have the trail, they're you know, it, it's like I said, it's like the uh guys from Europe that I led across the trail. They were just blown away. Yeah, there's yeah. no stripe down the middle of the trail to, to tell you where to yeah. go. Well, you know, we got the little orange reflectors that I had to glue down one year <laughs> <laughs> with that folk DR. But um but even so it's it I don't know, it, it's like I was talking about with the kids. There's so much kids don't know that we expect them to know. And for us, I guess we for us, Rubicon's not hard, right? Or we know how to swap out an axle. These other people don't. True. Mark, I was driving home from work. This is a couple years ago. And there's this Jeep in front of me that's just barely crawling. And it looked like a high school kid. He pulls over the side of the road. So me, being the nice guy that I am, oh, yeah, okay, this is a high school kid. So I pull over. Hey, everything okay? He's like, hi. I don't know what's going on. My, my Jeep's just not moving. I'm thinking, oh, engine and limp mode. So I get in there and I look around the Jeep for him. He had it in four low. <laughs> and it's like kind of that's what we're dealing with, right? This kid had no, no idea what four low was, why his Jeep was crawling down the road. <laughs> I don't know. It, makes, it just kind of makes me worried <laughs> for the future. So this rebel rally that Shelly and I are preparing to work on right now, we're going to be leaving. I mean, we're down in Vegas right now or Henderson and we're tech and everything is this week. It's, you know, all women's navigational rally. One of the things I like about it is watching these women grow, doing things that take them out of their comfort zone. Um, on the first rebel, there was this, this two, well, to me, younger women and, they were pretty clueless that first year. Um, they had learned how to change the tires on their vehicle like four days before leaving for the rally. They're on the rally. They blow out both tires on the passenger side at the same time or on the same rock. <laughs> Luckily, they have two spares. So we see them, you know, watching them on tracking. They're sitting there forever. So we th we decided, okay, you know, we need to go over there and make sure they're okay. By the time we get there, they're gone. And when tracking updates, oh, they're down the wash. Well, they're outside the wash and they're they're spotting themselves through, you know, because they're driving a Porsche Cayenne and they're trying to get down through this rocky wash. And they're doing a really good job at it. So what happened is, you know, they blew the tires, they got they, their husbands had just taught them how to change the tires. They got the tires changed themselves. They got them up onto their roof rack, you know, the, the old tires and rims. And they were really proud of themselves for changing their own tires. And I agree, you know, they, yeah. and it, it gave them a lesson in that they could do, they could do it on their own. Yep. Well, now the driver of that car She's driving her kids to soccer or whatever, and I'll see a face on a Facebook post where she goes, "Yep, I'm I'm teaching my girls what I've learned. When we see somebody broke down on the side of the road, like a flat tire, and there's you know, it could be a guy, it could be 
some women in a car, they'll pull over and she'll help them change that tire. Yeah. Awesome. And it's like, that is so cool because how many times do you go down the road and you see two guys that are in their twenties or less and they're on the cell phone <laughs> with flat tire and you know, they're either calling dad or AAA. you know, come get us. I can't change the tire. You know, it's like, Oh, come on people. Basics. But that's, I, I, that's kind of the soul of the four wheel drive community right there too. Right. If, yeah. if you're on the trail and someone's on the side of the road broken down, you stop and say, Hey man, you need anything? Yep. Need help? And I think that's why our community's just filled with so many just really good people. Because if you're up there on the trail, stuck in the middle of nowhere, broken down, <laughs> you need to rely on others. You sure. know, and you, you want to help somebody out because you don't know when you're going to be next. Seems like I'm always next with my wagon. But, <laughs> um, but you know... At, I, I guess that's what I like about teaching too. I, I like it when suddenly, you know, I, my son is out there rebuilding his carburetor and it's like, he's, he's getting it. He sits there and figures it out himself and now he can always do it. Sweet. So what's, what's next for Kurt and the Schneiders? Well, I, I don't know. I, I, I bounced around so much, you know, I worked so hard on land use for so many years and, with my writing and I I've kind of really, I think what's next is I just want to get my kids up on the trail even more. I want to go camping. Um, I, I think it's just time to step back from so much. I've a lot of the stuff I've done in the industry. I've, I've worn so many different hats that I, I don't know. I, there was a point there where some of it was, well, land use was never fun. <laughs> no. I got burned out after JB. JB killed me. But I don't know. I, I just, I feel like I just need to get up and wheel more. And I think the focus is going to be on the boys, uh, especially Logan. You know, he hasn't, hasn't really, he wheeled his willies a little bit this summer and this past spring, but he's begging me to get on the trail. Excellent. But yeah, the, the land use thing, I mean, I'm still kind of involved. Um, not as much as I used to though. It was just, it, it, it wears on you bad. And everybody that's really into land use is a, you know, is a volunteer. And there's a point where it's like, man, it's just, this is a lot of work. You know, it's, it's beating your head against a brick wall. Yeah. And it, it's something that needs to be done, but it it's true. People, New people need to step up and get involved with it because the guys that have been doing it, however, you know, they, they, they decided to do it. I mean, my land use thing, um, was a lot different. You know, it started on the con when, you know, the shutdown happened at spider and, you know, because of all the white flowers and all that kind of stuff and the way yeah. the trail was being used. And that's when I, you know, started trail patrol and, you know, which, uh, you know, got taken over by the friends of the Rubicon, which was great um, because I was getting burned out on trying to educate people when they'd show up to go on the con and say, okay, here, you know, remember to bring all your trash out, do this, do that. And people would look at me like, you know, 
why the hell do I need to listen to you? You're just some <laughs> dude out here. And it was like, because if you don't, I'm going to drag you out of your Jeep and beat your ass. You know, I mean, <laughs> that's literally what I had to say a couple of times, but you know, it's, uh, it, it got really frustrating and, you know, maybe I didn't always agree with the way the land use groups were, were dealing with it. And that was another thing, but you know, they were the ones dealing with it, not me, because at yeah. that point I'd gotten burned out as well. Uh, it, it just, I, I'd, I'd be in phone meetings of people yelling at each other and all this drama. And, and a lot of times in land use, uh, you know, we eat our young, you get somebody that really wants to make a difference and start stepping up and everyone, Oh, I, I went through that. People would tell me to shut up. <laughs> that was such a big mouth on pirate. Right. Yep. But it, it's something that's got to be done. And I really think we dropped the ball in the past four years because I think we could have maybe gotten other stuff opened up the way our our political uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for climate <laughs> yeah where our political climate was we could have possibly got stuff to open up but some of our organizations are hurting yeah um, you know well that was the most recent thing I did I, with irate four by four we did a Cal four membership drive. Um, which I think came out pretty good. And yeah, the thing is the clubs are dying, right? There's, there's really, there's online clubs. There's very few full drive club clubs, if that makes any sense. Right. You know, so the, the POR, the zombies, I love those guys. Yeah, but they're um, all extreme camping clubs anymore. <laughs> hey, zombies still wheel. Those guys still wheel. <laughs> I love those guys, and, you know, they, and they, man, the, they, that club has made a massive difference. I, I just, you know, here, I was the uh, nerdy fat guy with the little YJ back in the days or bombing around on their buggies, but they made a difference, raised a lot of money. Yep. Um, but now every, you know, a lot of these new clubs are just, you know, some Facebook group will show up and have a meet and greet and put ducks on each other's Jeeps. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And really, we, we let's go open our rooftop tents at the at the local gas station. Yeah, <laughs> let's go have our Jeep meet and greet. But with the clubs dying, that that kind of hurts us because we don't have these organized groups to to really fight and to back up our organizations. Yeah, and trying and, to get manu- manufacturers involved. And I'm not talking about the off road industry manufacturers, you know, the gen rights and that kind of stuff. Cause those guys are doing what they can, but it's the, the manufacturers that are selling the four wheel drive vehicles that are trying yeah. to sell the lifestyle, whether it be UTV or, you know, regular automobiles or trucks and they, they keep selling. So they don't give a shit. Yeah. They, they sell this lifestyle. They don't necessarily support the lifestyle. Correct. But then I think they think too, you know, the average person goes out and buys a Jeep Rubicon, never puts it in the dirt. Yeah. You know, they're just buying it to have the look. It's like the the guy that drives around my town with a rooftop tent and the snorkel and the gas tanks all the time. It's just for the look. Um, <laughs> you know, I, but I guess you know that's how people. I guess it's always been that way. But we, I don't know. I, I, I even if we don't agree with some of our organizations, I still think membership's important. 
because the more members an organization has, the bigger voice it has. Yeah, and that's what kills us with the environmentalists. Because the yep. environmentalists, it's easy. They get the numbers. Um, they get, you know, they, they play on people's emotions, you know, like, oh, look at, you know, look at the little seal, you know, the, the club in the <laughs> club in the seal thing, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that whole thing, or, you know, your, your 54 cents a, a week will, you know, save this many children in Africa type thing, you know, that it's that play of emotions that they have, that they've been able to do especially with all the big money out of the big cities and people that are never going to go use and hike that trail anyway, you know, they, yeah. Oh, look at what the big bad off-roaders and the, you know, everybody that's using the, the forest lands, except that people that are putting, you know, just shoes, their sandals or Birkenstocks on the, on the ground, you know, are doing damage and uh, people buy into that stuff. And the hardcore wheelers or the wheelers are, are like, especially East coast, they don't understand because it's all closed off anyway. It's just parks. Yeah. They don't have the public lands. Right. Oh, wheeling is so different all over the country, you know, but what what a lot of these people don't understand is like when we went through route designation in El Dorado national forest, it wasn't the Rubicon wasn't Barrett that was really hurt. It was your normal dirt forest road. You know, when when I really got into it was maybe 2002, 2003, me and Rick Verdun were up camping, not, not on the Rubicon, just up in El Dorado National Forest. And Forest Ranger comes in and says, well, yeah, this is a spur route. It's going to be closed. We're like, what? What are you talking about? Because I remember the time where you could drive right through the woods. Everything was open. Right. Then it was, well, don't drive through the woods. Just stay on all the routes. Okay. We were fine with that. Then they came back in through route designation and started a race in all these roads. One year there's this real nice campsite with a waterfall and it's farther back on, on a stream, uh, South of highway 50. And the forest service put up a gate. They closed cause it was a spur route, went all the way back and gated it. So we went up there found the gate. We're like, all right, we're going to have to camp somewhere lower. So we went back down the trail a couple of miles. And as we're setting up, I don't know, like eight or nine rigs just <laughs> fly right past us. And not like hardcore rock crawlers, just, you know, pick a couple of Jeeps. And we're like, well, they're not going to go far. They're going to hit a gate. Well, sure enough, I don't know, eight, ten minutes later, these vehicles pull up and this old man gets out of his truck. He's like, hey, uh, what's with the gate? Well, Forest Service closed the road. Well, guy, yeah, this, this is the grandpa, you know, and you can tell there's three generations of people there. And he goes, what's with the gate? Oh, the Forest Service closed the road. And he starts tearing up. He's all, you know, my, my dad back in the 60s brought me back up that hill to this campsite. I brought my son up there. Now my son wants to bring my grand my grandkids up there. Sorry, man. I mean, unless you hike in, he's like, well, I'm seventy something years old. I'm not hiking in. So these these route closures. When a lot of people we think off road, don't just think lifted vehicle. You could be in a, you know, for God's sake, a Prius. 
and it could still be considered an OHV if it is using a dirt forest road. Right. And that's what got hit the most, especially in these national forests. Just normal dirt routes that lead to campsites or explore through the woods. Yeah, for years, the hunting camp that we used, Buck Camp, for opening weekend or opening week, and it's off of McKenstry area, we can't even get to it now unless we hike in now about a mile. Yeah. And it's it's lost, you know, and it's uh it's a shame. You know, it that we there was no damage done. There was you know, it wasn't a a heavily used route. You know, it was a small little spur off of a off of a road, but it went in about a mile to a nice spring that actually was dug out in the 50s by um Dan Hartwig and his buddies when they went in on horses before there was even roads in there to to hunt and they dug out this spring so that there was always water bubbling up and now you can't even get to it you know and it's just uh people don't you know even the bikers and everybody the hikers they still take their car to the end of the road that dirt road to go start their activity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of people don't know this. John Muir, now his message has gotten so twisted. You know, I'm a student of Muir from growing up in Yosemite. Right. He was about access. Yes. He wanted roads built. And the reason he fought for Hetch Hetchy, which they damned, wasn't so much to save Hetch Hetchy, is that was essentially a trail to the High Sierra. That was a gateway to get up to the you know, higher in the mountains. You know, he was fighting for access. He wanted people to experience the Yosemite and, and the Sierra, which is one reason he wrote so much about it, is to get people up there. And we're slowly being closed off. And I, you know, I pray this doesn't happen, but by the time my kids get my age, is there even going to be any dirt roads left? True. You know? So we... uh I don't know. I don't know what the, I don't, I don't know what the, what the solution is. Yeah. I, I, I don't think anybody knows what the answer is. We just got to keep plugging along and keep trying to fight. Yeah. Now that we got this new BLM chief that uh, just got approved, which is probably one of the worst things that could ever happen to us. We'll see what, what yeah. her, what her push is going to be, which, uh, you know, she'll probably, I don't know. I'm not going to get into it anyway. <laughs> well, if we look, if we look at our success, look, it, it, it's good that the Rubicon is a county road. Yes. Um, it's, you know, what the Johnson Valley area is federally designated, right? I mean, that's, if we keep doing stuff like that, you know, we'll, we'll have a chance, but it, it, it takes people getting involved and it takes, you know, we spend so much on our rigs. It just, it kills me spend so much on our rigs, you know, for a price of a, not even a tank of gas nowadays, the prices for, you know, it, it doesn't take much to donate a little here or there yeah. to, or, or with my buddy, Rick will tell you what's even more important is just getting out there and, and doing work on the trails. He's up there cutting brush all the time and, and fixing campsites and 
same thing on the Rubicon, you know, it's changed in the past couple of years, but just by donating your time to going and helping and not making a mess when you're on the trail. Yeah. You know, That's the hard part help. with everybody, all the newer, the, the newbies. Yeah. It's their, they don't know our, they kind of don't know our culture, I guess is what it is. Um, you know, and you, but you watch so many, even Jeep advertisements or commercials where they're bombing through some river or, you know, flying down some dirt road that but it, it all comes back to education. Yes. And both you and I have done that for years. <laughs> it's just after a while, it just gets, Oh God, again, got to explain the same thing. Like a hundred time, like this guy should not be driving his rig through a river, which Water quality issues is, is going to be it's water quality, air quality. Um, those are going to be the two. That, that's where the fight really is. Yeah, because that's that's what they've used to to control so much, and why we're and why we're having these huge super fires. But that's another podcast altogether. So yeah, keep your kids get get your kids up wheeling, get them to take their friends up wheeling. I think that's the best way we can do it is get the the youngest generation out there right now that's able to get out there, get them out there, get them wheeling, get them to love, love it. And then try and to take them it. to events. Yeah. Take them to events. You know, I, my kids, well, Peyton Logan will tell you some of their greatest memories are from the, the old school rock crawls that I, you know, I used to bring them to. They loved those. And I, that's that's part of it. You know, there's, it's you, you learn the whole culture and you kind of get a love for it. You know, even if you're just watching somebody else. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Kurt, I want to say thank you so much for coming on board and sharing your history and your thoughts with our listeners. And well. Thank you for having me. I feel like I'm kind of important now. (laughs) (laughs) I've settled back a little bit and gotten out of the the mix, but yeah, I really appreciate you asking me to be on. No worries. No worries. It's, it's amazing. When I first started this, Shelly goes, okay, put 50 names down on a piece of paper on who you want to, you know, start a list. And the first 50 names went really easy. And then it started to get harder and harder and harder. (laughs) <laughs> my list now is over 400 names. Oh, really? And it's like, wow, how do I get? And I've only had one person tell me no. Well, no, two. One is like, wow. Rich, you know, I, I'm just too private of a person. I I really don't want to to get into it. I'm out of that whole scene now, you know. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. And then somebody yeah. else goes, well you just interviewed this person and I don't want to be involved with that person at all. And I'm like, well, you're not, you know, this is, we're going to share your story, not his story. Now, yeah. now if he was involved in it, I don't want to be involved in it. And I'm like, okay, fair enough. You know, and, and I didn't, I don't get it. Um, that one, especially I get the, you know, I'm too, you know, the privacy thing and all that kind of stuff. I, I, I get it. But, uh, it's, well, for it, me, the, the cool part for me is, you know, it's like, oh, Rich is interviewing Beanie. Oh, I got to listen to that, right? Because I adore her. I just love that woman. 
but then it's like you, there's some name where I, you know, I think I know everybody because I've been doing this for so long. I'm like, wow, wait, who is this? So it's always super refreshing. Listen to somebody I know nothing about, you know. And their story, I mean, it's it's so weird how we we're all related. And what I like about doing these things is is so far I know everybody that I've interviewed at least at least I've met them. You know, I've yeah. had, you know, maybe not broken bread with them, so to speak, but, you know, we're acquainted. Um, But I learned so much more about the person than, than what I, what I knew before. And I've had friends of these people give me a call or send me a note and say, wow, you know, I've known this guy for 25 years. We're we're together all the time and I never knew this about him. This is awesome. You yeah, know. that's cool. Yeah. Okay. Yep. One more question for you. Why are you a Raiders fan? <laughs> <laughs> you want the long version or the short version? Short version. Uh, when, when I was a little kid in upstate New York, there's basically two teams you follow. It's either the Steelers or the Bills. And as a little kid, I'm like, well, I'm going to go with the Steelers because they're mean. And when I moved to Yosemite, I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm in California now. Raiders or Niners? Well, Raiders look mean. <laughs> so I was a Raiders fan. <laughs> Been one ever since, since 1980. Singing them so. Folsom Blues. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Kurt, thank you so much. Um, we'll have to get caught up next time I'm in Northern California again. And, uh, yeah, let's go do the trail. Yeah, let's go do something. All right. I appreciate it, All buddy. Right. Thank you. All right. If you enjoy these podcasts, please give us a rating. Share some feedback with us via Facebook or Instagram and share our link among your friends who might be like minded. Well, that brings this episode to an end. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll catch you next week with Conversations with Big Rich. Thank you very much.